I am Vishnu Pad, Paramahamsa Parivrajakacharya, Asatara Satishri Srimad, His Divine Rich Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Maharaj Prabhupada Ki Jai. His time, founder, Acharya Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai, Natakur Devotional Vrinda Ki Jai, Namacharya Srila Haridas Thakur Ki Jai, Prem Sri Kahoshri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Sri Adoritika Dadhar Sri Vasadi Gaur Bhakti Vrinda Ki Jai. Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gokopina Shaimakunda Radha Kunda Giri Govardhan Kijai Vrindavan Dhamma Kijai Mathura Dhamma Kijai Navadvip Mayapur Dhamma Kijai Jagannath Puri Dhamma Kijai Gangamai Jamuna Devi Kijai Bhakti Devi Kijai Tulsi Maharani Kijai Samaveta Bhakti Vrinda Kijai Gaur Pramanandan All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Garanga. All glories to Srila Prabhupada Nama Om Vishnu Padaya. Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale Shri Mati Bhakti Vinata Swami Niti Namane. Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pachani Nivase Sisni Vani Paskachani Satani. Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Utah Padakamalam Shri Guru and Vaishnavamscha. Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sagana Raganatam Vitam Sam Sajivam Sadvoitam Sadvadutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Vitam Shja Panchakalpa Chudascha Kipasindaviva Tapatitanam Pavanavya Vaishana Vinayana Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Nimo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Nimo Bhagavate Vasudevaya April 28, 2021 from Hawaii over the internet and Shrimad Bhagavatam Canto 4, Chapter 25, The Descriptions of the Characteristics of King Purandana, Text 25. Tamaha Lalitam Vira Savridasmita Shobanam Snigdena Pangapukkena Sprishta Premod Brahmad Bruva Tam Unto her Aha Addressed Lalitam very gently. Viraha. The hero. Savrida. With shyness. Smita. Smiling. Shobanam. Very beautiful. Snigena. By sex desire. Apanga Pukena. By the arrow of glancing. Spristaha. Thus pierced. Prema Udbramat. Exciting love. 
Bruva. By the eyebrows. By the eyebrows. Muted. Oops, you shifted to a new page. Hold on, I've got to find you. Unmuted. Ready. Shiva Prabhupada's translation and purport. Paranjana, the hero, became attracted by the eyebrows and smiling face of the very beautiful girl and was immediately pierced by the arrows of her lusty desires. When she smiled shyly, she looked very beautiful to Paranjana, who, although a hero, could not refrain from addressing her. Purport. Every living entity is a hero in two ways. When he is a victim of the illusory energy, he works as a great hero in the material world, as a great leader, politician, businessman, industrialist, etc., and his heroic activities contribute to the material advancement of civilization. One can also become a hero by being a master of the senses, a Goswami. Material activities are false heroic activities, whereas restraining the senses from material engagement is great heroism. However great a hero one may be in the material world, he can be immediately conquered by the lumps of flesh and blood known as the breasts of women. In the history of material activities, there are many examples, like the Roman hero Anthony, who became captivated by the beauty of Cleopatra. Similarly, a great hero in India named Baji Roy became a victim of a woman during the time he was involved in Maharashtrian politics and he was defeated. From history, we understand that formerly... Politicians used to employ beautiful girls who were trained as Visha Kanya. Visha means poison. Kanya means a young girl. These girls had poison injected into their bodies from the beginning of their lives so that in due course of time they would become so immune to the poison and so poisonous themselves that simply by kissing a person they could kill him. These poisonous girls were engaged to see an enemy and kill him with a kiss. And just imagine the life of those women. <laughs> must have been absolute hell for those women. I mean, they must have been slaves or something. Thus, there were many instances in human history of heroes who have been curbed simply by women. Being part and parcel of Krishna, the living entity, is certainly a great hero. But due to his own weakness, he becomes attracted to the material features. Krishna, Bahir, Mukha, Hana, Boga, Vansha, Kare, Nikatasta, Maya, Tare, Japatiya, Tare. It is said in the Pramavarta that when a living entity wants to enjoy material nature, he is immediately victimized by the material energy. A living entity is not forced to come into the material world. He makes his own choice, being attracted by beautiful women. Every living entity has the freedom to be attracted by material nature or to stand as a hero and resist that attraction. It is simply a question of the living entities being attracted or not being attracted. There is no question of his being forced to come into contact with material energy. One who can keep himself steady and resist the attraction of material nature is certainly a hero and deserves to be called a Goswami. Unless one is master of the senses, he cannot become a Goswami. The living entity can take one of two positions in this world. He may become a servant of the senses, or he may become a master of them. By becoming a master of the senses, one becomes a great material hero. By becoming a servant of his senses, sorry, he becomes a great material hero and becoming a master of his senses, he becomes a Goswami or a spiritual hero. Tamaha Lalitam Vira Savrida Smitashobanam Snighain Apangapukena Sprista Prem Od Brahmad Bruva. Paranjana, the hero, 
became attracted by the eyebrows and smiling face of the very beautiful girl and was immediately pierced by the arrows of her lusty desires. When she smiled shyly, she looked very beautiful to Paranjana, who, although a hero, could not refrain from addressing her. So Srila Prabhupada is focusing this purport on the word viraha. Uh, viraha is one of the six opulences. So there are six ways of being prosperous. Usually when we think of opulences or prosperity, we just think in terms of cash. If someone has $1,000 or $10,000, that's prosperity. But the Vedic idea of prosperity to be Bhagavan, Bhagya means fortune, Van means he who has Bhagavan, he who has all fortune, which means he has the goddess of fortune, Lakshmi Devi, as his consort. So the varieties of Lakshmi, the varieties of prosperity, are six in number, and one of them is this Viraha. So Viraha is particularly thought of as, as a masculine type of prosperity, though it's not strictly so, like uh, Sri could be particularly thought of as a feminine type of prosperity, though it certainly isn't strictly so. Sri means beauty and also charisma. So Viraha means strength. It also literally means fertility, virility, sexual potency, and it also means health, to have strength and health and sexual potency. And a connotation, that's the denotation, a connotation is to be very heroic, to be very heroic. So this is a kind of opulence, to be a great hero. So here we see Paranjana, this is of course an allegory, the woman is material intelligence in this allegory and Paranjana is the soul. So the... The soul is actually a hero, as Prabhupada says in this purport. He says, being part and parcel of Krishna, the soul, being part and parcel of Krishna, the living entity is certainly a great hero. So we are all intrinsically heroic. We are all intrinsically strong. We are all intrinsically full of health and vitality and uh, potency. Uh, I mean, it could mean physio- physio- physiology, physiology, <laughs> From a physiological standpoint, we could be talking about uh, sexual potency and fertility. But from a spiritual standpoint, one also has potency. Krishna has so many potencies. And the jiva as a part and crystal... What is wrong with me today? As a part and parcel of Krishna also has potencies. We also have shakti. Uh, So we are great heroes. But our spiritual heroism is in our attraction to Krishna. When we are attracted to Krishna, then we share in his potency of being Bhagavan, of being the husband of the goddess of fortune. One of the five kinds of liberation is to share in the opulences of the Lord, to have practically equal opulence to that of the Lord. And it's explained that the Lord's prosperity potency, Lakshmi Devi, Ladini Shakti and prosperity potency, that she nourishes the devotees. So when we are happy to let Krishna be the Purusha, and we are happy to be Prakriti, when we are attracted to Krishna in our natural role of Prakriti, when we don't want to try to enjoy heroism separately from Krishna, when we're happy to let Krishna be the hero, and we are a hero in service to him, then Lakshmi Devi benedicts us. 
I mean, it's just like, uh, you know, you get the love of your mother when you're subservient to your father. It's a very natural thing. So we, you know, this is the mood of Hanuman. Hanuman wants to unite Sita and Ram. He's enjoying that the Lord's potency is serving him. So that's our natural position. Just like in a biologically intact family, so the children get pleasure from seeing that the mother and father love each other. It gives them happiness, it gives them a sense of security. So when we see that Lakshmi and Narayan, Sita Ram, Radha Krishna, love each other and we're happy to see them together, and we're attracted to serving them, then we actually enjoy all prosperity, including heroism, and potency, and strength, and health, on a spiritual and material level. And this manifests in having no interest in trying to enjoy separately from Krishna. So this kind of heroism makes it appear, I mean, Prabhupada's using the word here, resist, uh, but it's not a resisting in terms of fighting, or it's certainly not an aversion. It's simply a lack of interest. There, there is a kind of gasoline rasa that includes feeling abhorrence at enjoying material energy, just like any normal child would feel abhorrence at marrying their mother trying to enjoy their mother. It, it's abhorrent. It, it's ghastly. It's disgusting. Uh, there's, uh, there's no attraction in it at all. And again, it's not a question of, of resisting. It, it's just unnatural. You know, that I'm going to take my mother away from my father and I, I'm going... I mean, Freud had this idea that that's, that's uh, everyone's intrinsic fantasy. <laughs> but Prabhupada said that it was, was nonsense. He said, maybe Freud had this fantasy, but it's not our actual fantasy. Yeah. But for the conditioned soul, that does become the fantasy. The fantasy becomes, let me take Lakshmi away from Narayan. Let me take Sita away from Ram. Uh, let me take Radha away from Krishna, and I'll become the Purusha. I'll become the enjoyer. And of course, when we do that, then Lakshmi Devi becomes Durga for us. And of course, we don't really enjoy Durga. She's the property of Lord Shiva. <laughs> but Lord Shiva, uh, being the Lord of the Ahankara, we manifest this idea that I am the Lord and I can control Durga and I can enjoy Durga. I can enjoy the material energy. And Prabhupada says, particularly this is attraction to beautiful women, either to have one or to be one. So either I'm going to be, I'm going to be a beautiful woman... <laughs> Or I will own one, or two, or three, or however many a uh, person may, you know, <laughs> whatever. Uh, so uh, this is the opposite. And in this way, we may look like a hero, but actually we become a victim. Because we cannot control Durga. It's not possible. We can't enjoy Durga. She's not ours to enjoy. She's Vaishnavi, she's Krishna's energy, and she's, she's just not ours to enjoy. And when we try to enjoy Durga, uh, we may appear to be a very big hero in the estimation of the world, uh, but it's not actually the case. I mean, Prabhupada here is describing a material hero in terms of Rajagun, a great leader, politician, businessman, industrialist, 
heroic activities contributing to the material advancement of civilization. So this is a very Rajagun concept. And, you know, we, we glorify such people who take good care of their family, who serve their country, who, you know, give a lot in charity, who create big cultural and educational institutions and, and so forth. Uh, but these people are simply servants of their ego and they're servants of their senses. I mean, if we're, if we're honest, we'd say that we are the slave of our mind and our senses. Our mind says, be angry right now, and we're angry. And our mind says, be lusty right now, and we're lusty. And our mind says, be tired right now, and we're tired. <laughs> you know, and we're just, we're just the servants. We're servants of our community. We try to do things to please our community, to please our family. You know, I was talking to someone who runs a gift shop, and she was saying, you know, people buy gifts thinking that the people they buy gifts for will then like them. You know, we, we, we're, we're just desperately serving everyone and at the mercy of everyone, but thinking that we're some kind of great hero. And of course, there's also heroes in, in Tamagoon, so the hero... My granddaughter was telling me that uh, her husband's in the Marines and when he goes, he's in the reserves, and when he goes for his monthly training and, and so forth, so instead of renting a car to go, because so, he, need, he needs to leave the car with her, so he goes up with one of the other Marines. So he's tried to go with different people to find somebody that was, that was uh, decent to ride with. Anyway, she said one of the people who went was so critical of them that my granddaughter's 22 and he's 25 or 26 and they already have two children ages one and three and he's saying you're already married you already have children wow you're so young why are you doing that and then he's talking about his own life and he's dating a girl who has a child already by another man and she's still sort of seeing this other man but sort of kind of seeing her and he likes the girl but he doesn't like her child and I, I said to my granddaughter I said yeah he's criticizing your life but actually he's living a life in the mode of ignorance so in Tamagoon people are a hero when they don't take any responsibility oh yeah I have a girlfriend but I'm not going to get married and I don't like her child and she has another boyfriend and so that's your Tamagoon hero. <laughs> and then, of course, you have your Sattvagoon hero. So your Sattvagoon hero actually is able to withdraw the senses. Your Sattvagoon hero is not so enamored by the lusty activities of this world. The Sattvagoon hero is, is detached from the acceptance and rejection on the basis of the sense objects and is more enjoying the activities of the mind and the intelligence within uh, but even the Sattvagun hero has a concept that I have mastered Maya. I have mastered Maya by my detachment. Right? Uh, that's an interesting aspect of the Sattvagun hero. And we see the attachment to detachment is also a disqualification for bhakti. Right? Rupa Goswami says one should not be too attached or too detached. But the qualification for bhakti in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu is that one should not be too attached or too detached. In other words, one should not be interested in either bhukti or mukti. One should not be attached to one's detachment. That's simply another one of the six opulences of vairagya. So anyway, whatever, uh, whatever mode one is in, as I said, Prabhupada is particularly writing here about Rajagun. But whether one is in Tamagun, Rajagun, or Sattvagun, 
one may think that one is a big hero. One may think one is a big hero by refusing to take responsibility. One may think one is a big hero by taking a lot of responsibility <laughs> as successfully in this world. And one may think that one is a great hero by one's detachment and one's equanimity. But in all cases, one is a servant of the mind and the senses. And one is a servant, ultimately, of the false ego that's propelling us to do everything. And Prabhupada's giving examples of people who appeared to be great heroes who were captured by some kind of uh, improper sexual situation. And such is very common. It's, it's been very common in our Vaishnav Sanghas as well. I mean, it's just, it's very, very, very common that a person may present themselves or believe themselves to be some great person in this world, but when push comes to shove, they're under the control of their senses or they're under the control of their mind. And definitely one of the strongest ones is the sexual desire, being attracted by a beautiful woman or attracted, of course, by a handsome rich man or, or so forth. You know, and I mean, I certainly counsel devotees who've been in this situation, whose lives got ruined because they became improperly attracted to a rich, famous man, or they got improperly attracted to a beautiful woman. I mean, it's just, and and this is the the proof. And for some of us, it may be other things. Maybe some of us are attracted to eating sugar, or or playing video games, or or something, you know. But there's something in Maya that captures us that just. Like, <laughs> or for some people it's anger like Vishwamrita Muni you know first he's captured by Menaka and has this child Shakuntala and then he's like oh, I'm never going to be captured by sexual lust again you know that's it that's it <laughs> and then when Ramba comes he's overwhelmed by anger and he curses Ramba Maya has her ways I mean even <laughs> Even we have to we have to just say this honestly, it needs to be said that even in our Vaishnava Sangha, people are captured by what appears to be philosophical debate. You know, they they think that it's it's going to be some kind of service and they get wrapped up, you know, sometimes for years in just debating some fine point of philosophy. You know, like here Prabhupada talks about how it's our choice to come to the material world and I was thinking about how, you know, there's the fall and no-fall debate, and, and people will argue about this for weeks or months or, or whatever, you know, whether or not women should do this or that. And, you know, you have people who dedicate their lives in the name of bhakti to arguing about whether or not women should be allowed to do this thing or the other thing. Or people will argue about something not even philosophical. I mean, I see many devotees arguing now for months about whether or not people should get vaccinated. It's just like... <laughs> so Maya may capture us in, in so many ways where we become absorbed. We might become absorbed in a beautiful woman's eyebrows and we might become absorbed in, in getting angry about something. We might become absorbed in some you know, social topic or philosophical topic or, or something that shows that we're not a master, that shows that we're, we're a fool, that we're just dragged around uh, by something. You know, I, I remember many, year, many, many years ago, how many years, I don't remember, it was a long time ago, and we were in a, a, a meeting of educationists, educationalists in Iskand, and uh, we were, somebody was debating something, and, and Shani Karishvi of the Oxford Hindu Center 
he said, you know, when we debate these things on and on, we forget about the little blue boy playing his flute. And I'm like, oh yeah, we really do, you know. And so somebody might be really proud that, well, I haven't had any sexual fall down, you know, for 100,000 years. But then maybe they have another kind of fall down. Maybe they fall down into anger. or Maybe they uh, fall down into arguing endlessly about vaccines or something. So, you know, Maya has her little hooks <laughs> where she can, where she manipulates us. Like a, a puppet on a string. And just, yes, okay. <laughs> and we become, we become attracted. So when Baba talks here about becoming a hero by resisting the senses, he uses the word twice, resisting. Uh, we should be, or not being attracted, he talks about. So we should not mistake this for aversion. Aversion is another kind of attraction. And we've seen uh, many examples. Uh, you know, these, the, the erstwhile sannyasis, that means former, who would get up on the Vyasa sun and talk endlessly about what was wrong with women. You know, they'd use a verse like this to just say, you know, that like Robert's criticizing women's breasts and eyebrows and, you know, just we have this, this class criticizing uh, women's body parts. And then after some time, of course, they end up with a woman. Because if we're averse to something, we're also meditating on it. It's, aversion is really a negative form of attachment. You know, I like that or I hate that. It's, it's essentially the same thing. And therefore the Ishapanishad says we should never hate anyone nor any being. I mean, what the devotees hate in a sense <coughs> sorry, is the concept of trying to enjoy Krishna's energy separately from Krishna. That they find repulsive. They find, you know, it's like stealing from my friend. You said, you know, would you like to steal from your friend? That's repulsive. Why would I want to do that? It's the antithesis of my whole relationship with my friend. So it's not that the devotees find the sense objects repulsive. It's not that they find, you know, female bodies or male bodies or chocolate cake or whatever repulsive. It's the concept of taking something from Krishna's mind, my most dear friend, and trying to enjoy that separately from him, stealing it from him and trying to take his position, they, they have no interest in that. They're, they're, they're repulsed by it. And it's, you know, while we have a material body, the thoughts may enter the mind. I was thinking about how Prabhupada talks about Nimunacharya, who had been a great king. And so he had, of course, a lot of sexual enjoyment as a king. But once he surrendered to the Lord, and so whenever I think about sex, I become disgusted. So that tells me several things. It tells me that he would sometimes think about sex. So to think, to have some thought of material sense enjoyment enter the mind is to be expected. But the whole thing was, it was disgusting to him. And again, it's not that the biological sexual act is disgusting. That's part of Krishna's energy for the preservation of the species it, it's no more disgusting than anything else than a rotting leaf or whatever 
And it's not that women's bodies are disgusting, or if you're a woman, that men's bodies are disgusting, or whatever you are. It's not that. It's that the concept of trying to enjoy separately from Krishna is disgusting. That's a ghastly rasa. And the big difference between the ghastly rasa and aversion is that the ghastly rasa is ecstatic. And aversion is just as entangling and as attraction. In fact, it can be more entangling. Sometimes attraction can be in rajagun and aversion can be in tamagun. So that, that's not what we mean by resisting. What we mean by resisting is that we have a higher taste, paramdrisva divartite. That one gets so much pleasure from serving Krishna that the other, and, and one likes Krishna. <laughs> I hear we have the word prema, that he's feeling prema for this woman. That we have so much love for Krishna that we have so much consideration for Krishna, that we have so much respect for Krishna, that the thought of, of trying to steal something from him and trying to usurp his position, that is disgusting. And then one becomes a great hero because, because then one is detached from enjoyment or suffering, honor and dishonor. Then one could be a householder in the world. We have in the Bhagavatam so many examples of devotees who were great householders, who had many children and beautiful spouses, and even opulence in the world. They were having, obviously, sexual relationships if they were having all these children. But they were not interested in, in, in anything of this world. They were doing everything in service. That is the kind of detachment we're looking for in bhakti. Now, it's interesting that bhakti also includes uh, the kind of detachment that is often practiced in sattva guna. Just like we're studying in nectar devotion, and among the 20 chief items of devotional service, there's 10 positive and 10 negative. And among the 10 negative, there's not to be overcome by lamentation and sorrow or jubilation and gain. In other words, to be free of this to be free of this attraction and aversion. And when Krishna talks about in the 12th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, who's dear to him, he's talking about how that the devotees who are free from honor, dishonor, fame and infamy, heat and cold, happiness and distress, are very dear to me. So it's an anga of bhakti, it's a part of devotional service to intentionally cultivate this freedom from attachment and aversion. Those in sattva gun do it for their own ego. Ah, I am so free from attachment and aversion. <laughs> uh, but we are doing it because we want to please Krishna. We want to show that we have no investment in either wanting to enjoy the material energy or to enjoy our detachment from the material energy. We have no sense of, of ego in it. And then we see Sarva Kalami Brahma, everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. There's no material energy then to be detached from because we see everything in relationship to Krishna. Again, the only thing to be detached from is to want to enjoy separately from Krishna. Not to be not that we're repulsed by a certain activity or a certain person. So how do we cultivate this? It's a big question. And it's a big question because we see practically that in every religion and every spiritual path, including Gaudiya Vaishnavas, including the International Society for Krishna Consciousness and any other Sangha of Vaishnavas, that people have 
fall downs, particularly sexual fall downs, but fall downs, financial fall downs is another big one. Right? And anger fall downs, <laughs> food fall downs. People have fall downs. they do. This is this is our experience. So how do we do this? You know, sometimes we think, well, that I'll have to wait until I'm a pure devotee. Like right now, I'm just going to be attached in a verse. <laughs> and when I'm a pure devotee, this somehow I'll be, I'll be free from all this. But Rupa Goswami is giving this as part of our sadhana of bhakti. So how do we do this? So we do this by realizing that these desires and these thoughts are not ours. One who does not hate uh, illumination, attachment, or delusion when they appear, nor long for them when they disappear, knowing that the modes alone are active and remain neutral. As long as we have a material body, there will be sensations in this material body that we call lust, sexual lust, that we call anger, that we call sadness, that we call envy. There will be biochemical reactions in our material body, as Prabhupada very nicely explains in his purport to Bhagavad Gita 1422-25. As long as we have a material body, Thomas Rogers and Sattva will affect our body, which means our body will put out certain biochemical reactions that our mind will interpret as this is anger, this is lust, this is greed, this is envy, this is this, etc. And we observe. Oh, look at that. Interesting. That's an envious thought. That's a lusty thought. That's an angry thought. That's an angry feeling. But we don't identify with it. We let it pass through us. It's explained Jed Bart. He was feeling this angry feelings after Maharaj Rahugana insulted him. But he just he ignored it. He ignored it. It wasn't it wasn't him. You know, or, or beat the mind with shoes. Hey, that's not my thought. There's a, a number of techniques like that for dealing with the thoughts where you you could picture yourself, you know, throwing these thoughts against the wall and smashing them. <laughs> That's not my thought. That had nothing to do with me. But with humor, with detachment, not with hatred. And then we're doing that not so we can become liberated. That does liberate us, by the way. But not so we can become liberated or not so we can be proud of our detachment, but to please Krishna as part of our pleasing Krishna. And we turn our thoughts to Krishna. I mean, look at this verse. Eyebrows and smiling face. Well, Krishna has attractive eyebrows and smiling face. How many descriptions are there in the Shastra of Krishna's attractive eyebrows and Krishna's attractive face, pierced by the arrows of her lusty desires? In our Kama Gayatri mantra that we say every day, Pushpabhamaya Dimahi, we're meditating on Krishna. <laughs> It's Krishna who has these arrows, right? Who could not refrain from addressing her. That we can't refrain from chanting. That we're so attracted by Krishna that we can't stop from talking to him. Paranjana was so attracted by this, this woman, 
the allegorical material intelligence. He couldn't keep himself from talking to her. And so his apparent heroism was defeated. But if we're like, oh, there's Krishna, I want to talk to him. And we meditate on Krishna's pastimes. Like it says in the Bhagavatam, if you meditate on the Raslila, you'll be free from lusty desires. Meditate on, on, or how Krishna's kidnapping Rukmini. Krishna says, I can't even sleep at night, I'm always thinking about her. I mean, you know, when our, our bodies, our minds go to these places, take it to Krishna. Meditate on Krishna. Take whatever is going through in our bodies and minds, which is just the perverted reflection of the spiritual, and meditate on the spiritual. And then these things become insignificant. They really were just like, what do I want that for? <laughs> what would I want that for? You know? It's like, if I've got my own orange tree in the backyard, why would I want to buy orange-flavored chemical juice at this store? It, it would have no appeal. Right? So that's how, we be, that's how we resist. We don't resist by fighting against Maya. We're not going to win by fighting. <laughs> we'll think we'll defeat her and she'll be defeating us at every step, and by, every step by our aversion. Uh, but we defeat Maya by turning away from this concept that I'm the Purusha and coming back to being Prakriti. And then ironically, then we do become a great hero. That, that it's, it's such a funny thing, you know. We think, well, if I'm surrendered to Krishna and I'm subservient to Krishna, then I'm just going to be wimpy. But no, they actually become a great hero. That we, we really become the master. Isn't that funny? When we try to become the master... We become the servant of our senses and mind, which are really bad, bad masters to serve. I don't know about you guys, but my body and mind are very bad masters. And when I surrender to Krishna and become a servant, then I become a great hero. And I become the master of the senses and the mind. Which, the senses and mind are, can be very good servants to use in Krishna's service. And then uh, to fill the world uh, with happiness. So questions, comments? Additions, subtractions, chastisements. Anybody there? Muted. Unmuted. I have a question. Yes. What does it mean? One who does not hate illumination when it's present, nor long for it when it disappears. Don't we want to always remember Krishna? That illumination is sattvagun. Not related to remembering Krishna. Krishna's talking about sattvagun. Mm -hmm. That we should not be attached even to sattvagun. class, you were talking about the, um, how we naturally have no attraction to the mother. Yes. To, to enjoy, enjoy the mother. We would find that absolutely disgusting. Yes. And, um, but yet we hear in Shastra a well-known verse by uh, King Yayati speaking to David uh, Deviani 
and he says Matra Svasara Duhitrava Nadavidasuna Bhave Balavan Indriyam Gramo Vivansama Vikarshiti he's saying Matra Svasara one's mother one's sister one's daughter one should never even sit too close to them on, on asana or sit, sit together be alone with the mother uh, it sounds we discussed this actually the other day it sounds to me to be quite extreme and, the, and, I, and that verse was probably spoken not in Kali I mean, Kali, it's, it's Kali Yuga I mean I couldn't imagine you know such a such a thought but this was probably spoken in I don't know if it was Sacha Yuga or, or Treta Yuga when uh, King Ayati spoke but um why do we hear that in Shastra? It's, it's, it sounds extreme. Well, I understand that such extreme things are given so that uh, to make people especially careful. Mm-hmm. I mean, on a practical level, um, people are going to be alone with their mother, sister, or daughter. It's just, you know, he's talking about don't sit closely on the same seat. But on a practical level, I mean, there's no way you're going to have any kind of a reasonable family without such a thing. Correct. You know, that's... I, I can't imagine any family functioning where the opposite gender members of the family can never be alone together. It just... How would you do that? I mean, it would be... It would be such a heavy burden that it would be, practically speaking, impossible to function. And especially the relationship between the mother and the son is just the least sexual. Actually, it was really interesting. There was a devotee I was working with a little while ago who um, her husband had a lot of very peculiar... You could say like he had a lot of neuroses, a lot of, a lot of peculiar things about him. Uh, for example, he he was he would not speak to her if she, if they were on a stairway and she was standing higher than him. Like as soon as she was standing higher than him on the stairway, he'd like emotionally freak out. And she ended up finding out that his mother had molested him when he was a child. After many many years of marriage, she found out. Like after ten fifteen years of marriage, she found out. And. What she learned about this is that, first of all, that most men that are molested by their mothers end up committing suicide. The vast majority of them do. And the ones that don't, you know, are so totally humiliated that they they basically don't tell anybody. You know, it's just like something that they just feel so completely ashamed about. So, and it really messed him up. I mean, it was was very severe. Uh, He had, uh, he had, they had three daughters. And as soon as the daughters started to mature, he, he couldn't be around them. He just, he really had a problem being around women. So the point is that the, that sort of feeling between a mother and son is very, it's very, very unusual. It's, it's the least sexual relationship. That's why Ed Prabhupada talks about men calling women mother. You know, people put all kinds of spin on it, but Prabhupada's reason is that if you call a woman mother, you won't see her sexually because people just don't see their mother sexually. So anyway, I take it as these these are very extreme cases because someone might say, well, you know, it's okay if I'm with such and such person, I see her like a mother. <laughs> you know, and they say, wait a minute, you know, you may see her like a mother, that doesn't mean you can go off together and close the door. 
you know, or if she's just like a daughter to me, or I think of her as my sister, or something like that. And say, no, you know, even if even if you think it's a relationship like that, you should still be extremely careful, and you should avoid such things. So I see like that the Shastra takes sometimes these very extreme positions so that we have no excuse. And it's kind of like Yudhisthira who loses it during gambling. And so somebody can say, well, you know, I can gamble. And they, well, if Yudhisthira couldn't deal with it, how are you going to deal with it? So I, I see it like that. that that's, at least how, that's at least how I, I understand. Thank you. That's a nice point. Thank you. Anybody else? Hello, hello, Mother Irma, Devi Dasi, this is Hanuman Swami. Oh, Hare Krishna, one of our most strict yeah. sannyasis in ISKCON. Huh. Who, will, who will not even write an email to a woman unless there's another receiver. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, my, and, my, and, I, and my mother never had sex with me. So I <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just wanted to thank you. It's a very nice class. I'm giving I'm giving class tomorrow. Uh-huh. Which is very nice to very nice to have the continuity to, to hear the previous speaker like that. All right. Was is there something you'd like to add? Well, yeah. Maybe well, not really. But at one point, uh, I can't remember where it was now. But, it may have been Kavrat, it may have been Subhagswami, or it may have been another person. But they were saying that when they grew up in India, uh, there was a Porsche area. It's hard to hear you. Uh, I know what it is. Uh, one second. I have to turn off my headset because it doesn't work with the start meeting. It works with everything else. Okay. okay I'm going to push this button, push that button. Okay, that steps off. Push that button. Go off. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's better. Okay. Very good. Okay, so good. Um, but they were, they were describing that in their family when they grew up, uh, there was the again the porch area in front of the house where people would meet and do things and behind that was the gentleman's like office space and men's space and there was a courtyard in between open and back of that was the ladies area you know right and they said um, yeah during during the during the daytime there was no you know basically no concept con- contact whatever everybody had their own lifestyle you know and even when the uh, uh, what do you call it when there was contact between the husband and wife it was, was very regulated you know so it's. I was thinking, wow, in these different cultures, it's just it does exist, you know, that men and women just don't 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 associate unless unless there's um what do you call it, you know, some more formalized thing in terms of the relationships and stuff like that. And in our Western culture, how do you do that? What's yeah, the point? yeah. Prabhupada does describe that, but if we let's look at that at the descriptions of Vrindavan on this planet, which I would take to be indicative not just of transcendent Leela but also indicative of the social norms at the time. So you do have, you know, like Radharani and the young girls are coming and serving the men. 
you know, you do have uh, times when the, the men and women of the family are interacting together in the course of the day. So you, you do have that. Well, yeah. He was saying that in businesses when he was growing up, uh, the ladies would be working in businesses and they would all be in one big room working and then the men would be in another room you know, working. And when something had to pass some document for India or something, the designated man would go and knock on the woman's door and the designated woman would come and take it. Yeah. So they had their, their system to control. Well, you definitely had... A, a stricter idea of separation and you, I mean, you had a number of things that prevented problems. You had a stricter idea of separation, you had almost like a woman's society and a men's society then you also had pretty much everybody getting married and pretty much everybody getting married at a very young age. And yes. that was that was something else. I mean, I just, just today I had one ISKCON leader ask me what to do about some young men and women who are hanging out on the temple property, and I said, well, either one of them has to go to another place or they need to start thinking seriously about marriage. You know, what are you going to do? And saying, well, you know, they say they can keep it under control, and we're like, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, I don't think so. This is some kind of a dream that people are having. So definitely one of the reasons we have rampant illicit sex in modern society is that men and women are very casually associating in all spheres of life. You know, but I, I, I was in a temple in, uh, in Boston in 1975 and 76 where the temple president imposed a very heavy standard of male-female separation. And... It was so heavy, like he said, he, there's one class where Prabhupada had said that a woman is a, a woman is beautiful, she never speaks to any man except for her husband. So the town president took that literally, and the married women were forbidden to speak to any men. Of course, the unmarried women were allowed to speak to the men. And uh, if you had to say something to a man, you ended up having to write a note, which I would suggest is more intimate if I'm writing a note and passing it to a man than if I'm speaking to a man. And it was also so extreme that if, if a woman was walking and a man came by, we had to cover our face with our sari and stick our face in the wall. And there was a, a four flights of stairs, uh, and the women's quarters was on the top flight of stairs. And, and, I mean, it wasn't super narrow stairs. It was enough room for two or three people on the stairs at a time. But still, the rule was that if, if, if a woman was walking up the stairs and a man started coming down, then the woman had to go all the way back down to the bottom of the stairs, stick her face in a corner, and wait till the man left. And, you know, if the woman was going down the stairs, whatever. If you were going up or down the stairs and a man was coming from the opposite direction, you had to go all the way back to the top or all the way back to the bottom, cover your face, stick your nose in a corner, and wait till the man left. And one time, I literally waited for 20 minutes for a brahmachari to get off the stairs. He was sitting on the bottom step, and so I had to wait for him to get off the step before I could go upstairs. And I couldn't look at him. I had to put my nose in the corner and cover my, my face with my sari. And finally, after 20 minutes of waiting, I thought, I'm going to say something. And I look, and it was a saffron-colored garbage bag sitting on the bottom <laughs> of the stairs. Uh, we were also, in those days, the women were standing in the back of the temple room, 
and we were told, you know, because God forbid that a man might look at our way during the RT, and we were told we weren't allowed to look at the men, so we weren't allowed to look at the deities. The women had to stand in the back by Prabhupada's Vyasasana. We could look at Srila Prabhupada or we could look at the floor. Uh, they forbade the women from offering arti because they said the man might see you. And like I used to offer the noon arti and I had to like make sure the deity curtain was practically completely covering me so that if any man were to walk in the temple room by any chance he wouldn't see me. Um, it was so extreme. One time there was a woman cooking in the kitchen and there was a man outside uh, in the parking lot and there, were fi- there was a fire there and the, the knob for the hose for the outside was in the kitchen so he was trying to tell this woman in the kitchen that she had to turn on the hose so that he could put out the fire and she wouldn't acknowledge his presence what to speak of, of responding to him you know, he finally had to come into the kitchen um, later on it was revealed that this temple president who by the way had two wives later on it was revealed that he was sexually molesting his two year old stepdaughter uh, who he molested her the whole time that she was growing up and, and I remember uh, that, that was revealed many many years later I remember when we left that temple when we left Boston I, was, I lived there for ten months and we went to Detroit so I was so trained in this system that like if I was talking to a man I would look at, if I had to talk to a man I would look at the ground you know I put my head down and look at the ground so we were there for a couple of weeks and my husband came to me and he said Ermila I'm getting a lot of complaints from the brahmacharis about you and I'm like why he said well if they have to tell you something you're just looking at the ground and they're feeling offended it, it took me probably about six months to sort of readjust to being a normal human being after, after being in Boston that long. We were also very strictly regulated on how we could dress. Uh, the women were not allowed to wear any bright colors. We weren't allowed, even though the devotees in Mayapur Dham were making saris in bright pinks and bright oranges and bright yellows, we weren't allowed to wear those. We weren't allowed to wear anything with a pattern. We weren't allowed to wear a choli. Um, we were supposed to wear our palus so that it basically covered our face like you see some of the women doing in Vrindavan. And what I realized is that being in that environment, instead of thinking about Krishna, I thought about two things, men and clothing. So I was always thinking about, is there a man, is there a man, is there a man, is there a man, and how am I dressed, how am I dressed, how am I dressed, how am I dressed. And I concluded that, I I reached many conclusions after that experience. Uh, One is that you can't take a piece from another culture and implant it into a different culture without also having the whole infrastructure. That to take one thing that Prabhupada said or one thing from another culture and think you're just going to copy-paste, all you're going to do is make a mess. Uh, The other thing is that too much absorption in these things becomes an aversion and actually becomes a way that we're not thinking about Krishna. It, 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 it loses being part of bhakti yoga. It, it starts to become something else. And another thing is that a lot of the times the people who impose such draconian things have their own severe problems going on in their private life. And they're imposing these things as a way of dealing with their own guilt and dealing with their own lust and their own out-of-control desires. So, those are the things that I've learned. At 
the same time, you know, I'm super conservative on, on all of these issues. But I, I do think we have to be careful. I mean, I was very fortunate when I was a child that I had a very close relationship with my father. My mother would sleep very late in the morning. She would stay up late, wake up late. My father would be up by 5 o'clock, and I would be up by between 5 and 5.30. He would tell me stories every day. He would play games with me every day. He made me breakfast every day. He taught me about morals and ethics. He taught me about spirituality. Um, and when Prabhupada gave me Gayatri Mantra and my father gave Prabhupada a check for life membership, Prabhupada said, good father, good daughter. So it would have been such a shame if I would have been in a society that would have separated me from my father. That would have said, you know, you can never have any kind of contact with your father and you can never see your father except from a distance in some sort of formal situation. I, I really, really owe such a, such a debt to my father and I miss him so much on, on every level, on, on a material and on a spiritual level. When I decided to join ISKCON, he said, I'm so glad you're looking for God. And, you know, I, I, I can't imagine that in a healthy society that there was no relationship between mothers and sons or between fathers and daughters or between brothers and sisters. You know, you have with Kunti and Vasudev when they meet at the, on the battlefield of Kurukshetra and Vasudev says to his sister, Kunti, I'm, I'm so sorry, you know, that I haven't, I haven't properly taken care of you. Uh, you know, I was, I was forced by circumstances not to take care of you. So, you know, I, I, I would li I'd say that definitely our modern society is really messed up when it comes to this stuff. It is a catastrophe. Uh, it's, it's, it's really just awful. And we should definitely have a society where there's more separation between men and women, and we should definitely have a society where early marriage is the norm. How we're ever going to get to those things, I, I don't have a clue really don't have a clue. But I do feel we have to be careful that we don't impose on ISCON the kind of situation that I lived through in Boston. Uh, I, I, I really wouldn't wish that on anyone. I mean, it was a good learning experience. I, I learned some things from it. <laughs> but one of the things I learned from it is that's what you don't do. <laughs> so sorry to go on and on about it, but uh, I, I just I felt maybe that might you know, I, 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 help. I, I, I agree with the perspective, especially trying to impose the thing artificially. My only comment was that, um, uh, in, as far as I can understand, what we are Dominical communities where people are quite tranquil in these relations, and you know they do exist. Yeah. But yeah. Implementing. One thing I've noticed is that when it is to film small Disney, everybody from five years old, they're already starting to like you know, stimulate this mental relationship and yes. thinking of each other. Oh my God, is this? So much needs to be done. Yes, definitely. I mean, the, the situation in the world is, is abominable. Anyway, I'm sure that in these very Brahminical and very sattvic communities, there's still a lot of love and respect if they're done properly. There, there's not hatred, there's love and respect. And in order for human beings to develop psychologically this, this relationship, I mean, how is, every man gonna, how is a man going to call women mother if he doesn't have any idea what mother means? <laughs> You know, it, 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 it becomes some sound that comes out of your mouth. So unless he's actually had a loving relationship with his mother, how will he see all women as mothers? So I, I, 
I just see like their prophet says, you know, we should chant like a, a child calling for a mother. Yeah. So there, there must have been very loving, respectful family relationships, along with this, with this care. And how to do that exactly? I, I don't know. One, what, one, one thing. Uh, they probably changed now, but I think at least. Uh, 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, all the Indian boys I talked to all remember, they, were all, they all were nursing from their mothers some relapse uh, long enough so that they could remember that. Mm. It was a part of the little consciousness of women who was sitting on their mother's lap and nursing with her. And so yeah. it was such a different culture. Well, that also, was, you know, you're, you're the, the child will naturally see a woman's body more like that. And see, you know, modern women object to being called baby-making machines. And I'm like, I don't know what biological reality you're living in, but a female body is a baby-making and baby-feeding machine. That's exactly what it is. I mean, we're a lot more than our bodies and we're more than our reproductive functions, but that's what it is. And if a, if a woman can see her own body in terms of motherhood, she's a lot less likely to use her own body to try to just attract men for illicit life. And if a man can see a woman's body like that, then he's much more likely, if he does get involved with women, to get involved with marriage and, and producing children. And but to, that but that's, Paranjana has a lot on me, right? Paranjana is, is bewildered. You know, he's, he's bewildered by this material intelligence and thinking that he's going to be a great hero by conquering the world. I mean, it is interesting that Prabhupada talks about here in terms of Rajagun because Rajagun is still dharmic. So, you know, he has this idea that I'm going to be a dharmic conqueror of the world. But it, it, it doesn't work. You know, we're, isn't it? You know, we're not the conquerors, whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, whatever you are. You know, it's not, we're not the conquerors of the world. <laughs> We can't. We try to enjoy it. We just we just become bewildered, and we just are made fools of, isn't it? Isn't it, Marge? We just. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, one last thing. One last thing. I kept hitting me again and again. I remember when I was a new brahmachari in the temple in San Francisco, reading Prabhupada's books. The one phrase that hit me, which has always been there, the Prabhupada says, "There's an unlimited number of material pleasures." And nobody can have all of them. Mm. And, it, because I, and I realized that when I was trying to, oh my God, it's that pleasure, that pleasure, like you're saying. And you say Maya has Maya has an unlimited number of varieties of sugar, and yes. paint, whatever yeah. you want. Yeah. And so that's always been very, very nice for me. There are an unlimited number of material pleasures and nobody can have all of them. Oh. Yes, and also that's what I was saying also that somebody may be very proud Oh, you know, I'm not interested in, in beautiful women or handsome men. But then they'll be interested in something else. You know? They, they have their other nemesis. They have their other Achilles heel. And they have other, and it can even be, you know, I'm such a renunciate. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm, I'm so detached. <laughs> you know? It just becomes ridiculous. Even the Acharyas say Sudama Brahmana had this attachment to detachment. So you're showing us your Lord? Wow. So when we're attached to Nisingadev, we have the pigs? What are the pigs doing, Marge? Um, it's from Journey to the, Journey to the West. 
Chinese classic, Monkey and Piggy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And they, they say that there's many suggestions of monkey is on the moon. Oh. But the pig, pig is the body, and he shows that through the story. And then the, the monkey is the mind, and so they're teaching us. So somebody gave me a monkey and a piggy. Oh, I see. Thank you very much. I'm very enthusiastic for tomorrow's class now. Okay, well, very, very good. I mean, I remember when these sort of verses used to be used in ISKCON to just, like, you know, send all the women to Australia. (laughs) Okay, well, thank you very much for giving me an opportunity. Hopefully I didn't offend anybody. Shil Prabhupada Ki Jai. Jai, thank you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Thank you.